We have been and will continue to be talking about the Spirit through the course of this, but I'm actually going to be beginning with some, the, the, the consequences of not having the Spirit in your life. Because many of you have heard about our dog. That's Bingo. And he is a beagle, and as a beagle, it means that Bingo has the third best sense of smell of any dog breed. You and I, our noses have about 5 million scent receptors. Bingo has 220 million, which means that his nose is the dominating force in his life and that he loves food. We have managed, we're not great dog trainers by any measure, but we have managed to teach him two food-related commands that he, he generally does pretty well. The first is leave it. This, by the way, is his leave it face. I took it the other morning while he was on leave it. <laughs> leave it means he has to sit and wait before he can dig into his delicious stew of green beans, fiber, and kibble. You don't really want to know the details. The second command is to have it, which quite literally releases the hound. And I really enjoy, and I don't think it's wrong that I enjoy this, but I enjoy watching Bingo have to wait and have it for a minute or two because I can see this battle take place within him. See, the trained part of him wants to obey. But the part of him that's really just a gigantic nose wants to go chow down. And there's this little war, and some days he's, the training is winning, and, the tra- and he sits patiently. He's actually sitting great that morning. Uh, and, and he's just there. He's normally eyes on the prize. It actually took a while to get a picture of him looking up. And he is firmly in control of himself for a couple of minutes. It's not eternal. But then there are other days. And on the other days, like, he gets in this position, but his little legs start twitching because he wants to make a break for it, and, and his head starts bobbing down. He starts stretching out his neck, right, because he thinks that somehow it's going to, like, extend, like, you know, Elastigirl or something to where he can, like, reach the food bowl from three feet away. And he can't ever hold it together very long because he is a dog with a very large nose. And so inevitably, he will succumb to that delicious aroma of cold green beans and dry kibble. And he will try to make a break for it if you stop holding eye contact with him. I think at times each of us struggles like bingo, perhaps not as dramatically visibly but, or as over something as dumb. <laughs> but we each struggle in our own way, right? There are things that draw our attention, that tempt us, even though we know we shouldn't give in. Right, there are things that we know are unhealthy or unwise or hurtful or immoral or unethical or illegal, and yet, despite that knowledge in our heads, we still struggle minute after minute, hour after hour, day after day, where we try to be strong and we try to follow the rules, be a good person. But someday, some way, we fear we're going to crack, and we're just going to give in and do it. Or we actually do crack, and we do do it, and then things go from bad to worse. My friends, God has given us all the tools we need to win these battles. 
Now, it's not a, it's not a quick or easy fix, right? We aren't transformed usually instantaneously in this way, but it is something that is far more powerful than anything we can accomplish on our own. And the answer is that we must learn to walk in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit because only the Holy Spirit gives lasting victory over temptation. Right? Only the Holy Spirit gives lasting victory over temptation. The Apostle Paul explains the Spirit's transformative power to us in Galatians chapter 5, verses 15 through 26. He writes, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the flesh, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Sorry, walk by the Spirit. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I think that many of us imagined that when we became Christians, we would be instantly transformed to to such a degree that we would never do another wrong thing again. And that temptation would fade away, and we would have victory. And so when we fail, it can be very jarring for us to realize that temptation remains a powerful force in our life on an ongoing basis, even after we have been saved by faith in Christ. The reality is Christians are still tempted by sin. This passage is an in-depth exploration of different aspects of this, but Paul begins and ends the passage by addressing relational conflict. That sinful friction that often exists within our families or our friendships or our congregations. Verse 15 warns us, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. You see, there was conflict within the churches of Galatia. Of course, we know there's theological struggle going on. We've been exploring that in recent weeks. But it seems there's also just a lot of interpersonal heat and conflict. And it seems to be stemming, very simply, from a failure to love and serve one another, a refusal to put the interests of someone else first. Last week, we looked at verses 13 and 14, which explained, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 explains that the conflicts that take place between Christians always stem from wrongful desires, right? We can say that it's this fault or that fault, but, but at the heart of every conflict between Christians are wrongful desires. Either it's a desire for something that is truly bad, or it is a desire for something good that we want so badly, so much, to such an extent, with such a priority, that it is actually becomes more important to us than God. James writes to us, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder? You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel? You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. This is the heart of conflict, that wrong desires or right desires that are taken too far cause problems between believers. Believers you're sitting next to, believers you're sitting across the aisle from, believers you're married to, believers that are your children or your parents. And so if you have any relational conflict in your life, you need to realize you can't ignore it. What Paul is saying is that it will grow and consume you. Unless you take the time to look within yourself, find the source of the conflict, and deal with it. And note what I said there. Look within yourself. You don't need me to help you find the source within the other person that you're mad at. We're great at seeing that. Right? We have a tremendous gift for seeing the problem with the other guy. But Paul and James and Jesus all say the same thing, that when you are tempted to start or continue or expand a conflict with another believer, you need to examine yourself and see which of your desires is raging out of control. And then Paul expands his lens. He moves past just interpersonal conflict, and he, and he brings into sight a wide array of sins that tempt us. He lists 15 specific sins that might tempt us, but he also makes clear his list isn't exhaustive. In verses 19 through 21, Paul writes, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. Everything else. Now if you're like me, it's really easy to skim that list and say, yeah, those are some bad things, and then move on, saying, doesn't apply to me. I haven't done sorcery lately. I'm good to go. That isn't Paul's point, right? I think Paul's point is that if we are honest with ourselves, we will each find something in this list that tempts us. So my question, and I don't, you don't have to shout it out loud, but my question for you is what tempts you? Right? Is it flirty behavior while you're married or with someone else who is married? Is it explicit pictures and videos? 
Is it spending so much time with inappropriate forms of entertainment that it begins to warp your worldview and understanding of God's plan for sexuality? Is it taking too much comfort for yourself? Is it indulging in too much leisure? Right? We do, might do that in summer vacation particularly. Is it seeking too much pleasure? Is it enjoying too much food? Is it some other form of indulgence? Or perhaps it's idolatry. Right? And I'm not talking about making little statues in your house, although certainly that might be possible. But, but really, idolatry, we need to understand, and covers anything that so dominates our thoughts and our desires and our, our priorities of life that they take priority over God. And let me tell you, this is very common in Northern Virginia. Right? So are you tempted to turn something like your career or your retirement, or your 401k balance, or your sports, or your health, or your fitness, or your social status, or your kids, or your kids' activities, or video games, or sex, or entertainment into an idol. Something that so dominates your time and your thoughts and your priorities that they have transcended God in your life? Or are you tempted by enmity and strife if you realize, man, there's a lot of conflict going around. I'm just surrounded by jerks. This might be you, right? Are you filled with bitterness, surrounded by broken relationships, and you, you just can't seem to help but make things worse with your words and your actions? Or are you desperately jealous or envious of what someone else has? Another common Northern Virginia problem. Or does it seem like you always have some sort of competitor or, or frenemy or just outright enemy in everywhere you go, whether it's work or the PTA or church, and you just got to defeat them? What about fits of rage? Right? A lot of Christians seem to think that they're acceptable as long as we're mad about good things but I don't really see that qualifier in Scripture. So do you often flip your lid, erupt in wrath, spew forth a you know, lava flow of ugly, poisonous words, or engage in, in physical violence or destruction? Okay, we all already snickered about sorcery, but the sad reality is that illicit attempts to gain access to spiritual power through someone other than God is actually on the rise in the Western world. Are you tempted to create or contribute to dissensions and divisions at home or at church or in the workplace or in the community or in some organization where you volunteer and serve? Do you find yourself always insisting you've got to have it your way or it's the highway? Is everybody else always wrong and you're always right? Or perhaps you're rationalizing away excessive consumption of alcohol, or the abuse of prescription painkillers, or, or the use of illegal drugs, right? I don't know what your specific temptation is, but you do. What tempts you? And how often does that temptation win? Paul concludes verse 21 with this warning, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's rough. 
The phrase, those who do such things, is describing current, ongoing, habitual practice of one or more of these things, right? So he's not saying if you occasionally slip up, you're going to hell. But he's saying if this is your habitual practice, if you regularly have a problem giving in to these things, you have a serious spiritual problem. And the good news, of course, is that any and all of these sins are forgiven through faith in Christ. Because while everything on this list is a sin that carries the penalty of condemnation and eternal separation from the holy, all-good, righteous, and perfect God who created us and who will not permit sin into His presence, God in his infinite love and mercy has offered a way for us to receive forgiveness for every sin. By sending his son Jesus to live that perfect life that we cannot, even though he was tempted in every way. By sending him to suffer and die on the cross as the sacrifice necessary to pay the penalty for our sins, God offers undeserved, unearned, unmerited salvation and forgiveness and eternal life to every single person who trusts in Jesus as his or her Lord and Savior. By the blood of Jesus, all who accept him as Lord and Savior are forgiven for their sins. But we still struggle with temptation, don't we? These works of the flesh, they still call to us from time to time. Maybe it's just an occasional call that pops up every few months or a few years, or maybe it's a daily struggle to glorify God rather than gratifying the flesh. And if you are still struggling with temptation, it doesn't mean you're a defective Christian. It means that you are a human being. Because we remain tempted even after we are saved. If that weren't the case, Paul wouldn't have had to write these verses to a group of Christians to be read in church. So if temptation remains a part of Christian life, and we can't seem to to fully and finally beat it by self-determination and discipline, it wasn't instantly vanished when we were saved, how do we live a life that follows the example of Jesus, who never, ever sinned, even though he was tempted severely? And the answer is that we must defeat temptation through walking by the Spirit. Now, biblically, that concept of our walk is describing our habitual daily patterns, the way we live our life, right? Not just Sunday morning. It's about Sunday through, through Saturday. And so Paul commands us, and it is a command, to walk by the Spirit, an ongoing imperative for every believer describing how we are to try and live each day. Verses 16 through 18 describe both our hope for a transformed life and the source of all our struggles. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's a promise. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Only God's Holy Spirit, the Spirit who enters our heart when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Spirit who will never leave us, only the Holy Spirit can defeat the powerful desires of our fallen minds and bodies on an ongoing basis. Yes, we can try to defeat temptation 
through our own power and our own strength and our own self-discipline. It'll work sometimes for a while. Ultimately, it is exhausting, it is demoralizing because we will fail, and it is self-defeating. It'll help for a while, but it will eventually fail. We will only succeed in deceiving ourselves, thinking, yep, got that sin under control because I've got good habits and good disciplines. Don't have to worry about that. That's when that sin sneaks back around one day and just hammers you when you aren't expecting it. We deceive ourselves. Ultimately, we discourage ourselves. Because what are we doing when we do that? We are trying to live life by the law. Right? Rather than harnessing the power of God's Spirit, which He has given to us to defeat the temptations of the flesh. And the harder we try and the more we fail, the more frustrated and angry and and depressed and despondent we become because God's Spirit alone brings transformation and victory. And Paul describes that transformation for us in verses 22 to 23. Here we have this beautiful picture of the incredible life that is available to us through the Spirit. Paul lists nine virtues that are the opposites of everything that tempts us. These are the qualities that Jesus exhibited perfectly throughout his life. These things are attributes of God made available to us because the Holy Spirit is God living within us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And I hope and I believe that everyone here earnestly wants to display and enjoy these qualities that Paul is talking about. We want love, that supernatural love for the unlovable, even amidst personal and relational and professional and congregational breakdown and difficulty and strife and suffering. And joy, we want that joy that that it survives even amidst sorrow and grief and pain. And peace, peace with God and with other, other people that is based solely on God's reconciling work and is independent of all the conflict and chaos and struggle going on in our world around us. And we want supernatural patience, the kind of patience that God has where, where we don't, we don't you know, lose our, our mind and flip out when people fail us or don't change fast enough to make us happy or when God doesn't answer our prayers fast enough to suit us. Kindness, the kind of kindness that God shows us over and over again through Jesus, even though we certainly don't deserve it. Faithfulness, the the ability to walk steadily with God and with others through all kinds of ups and downs and victories and defeats and, and triumphs and tragedies and keep our word and honor our commitments no matter how hard it is. Gentleness, which is not weakness, but is rather a a disciplined harnessing of strength that this world lacks. And self-control, which is so desperately needed in our culture and even within our churches today. These nine manifestations of God's Spirit are how we live an incredible life that glorifies and serves God no matter what goes on around us, suffering, loss, chaos, persecution, poverty, illness, or defeat. 
These nine facets of life in the Spirit all defeat temptation. They conquer the lusts that naturally rage within our bodies and minds and hearts. So the one and only certain way to defeat temptation is to walk by the Spirit. And the question naturally is, how do you do that? Now, before I answer that question, I want you to spend a little bit of time this week reflecting on these verses and think about which list better describes your daily life. I'm not talking about your Sunday morning life. I'm talking your everyday life. Are you more fruit of the Spirit or are you more works of the flesh if you are an outside objective observer? Are you more verses 22 to 23 or are you more a, a 19 to 21 kind of guy? And if you're more 19 to 21, you got a problem. I'm just being honest here. You either have a faith problem, because without faith in Christ as Lord and Savior, you don't have access to the Holy Spirit. You have no choice. You will be a 19 to 21 person. Or you've accepted Christ, but temptation is winning regularly, which means you have a discipleship problem. That's the implication of verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You see, discipleship literally means walking with and imitating a master. And every Christian is supposed to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be walking with and imitating Jesus. But if we're not showing much fruit of the Spirit, and he was the perfect epitome of it, and we're showing plenty of works of the flesh, and he never did, then we're not doing a very good job of imitating him, which means we have a discipleship problem. That's why Paul commands us in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, this command to keep in step with the Spirit is using a word that describes falling into line of march behind a leader. So we defeat the flesh and live by the Spirit through discipleship, by falling into line of march behind the Spirit of Christ. And to do this, we have to nurture the Spirit within our life. I recently heard a helpful illustration of how transformational discipleship works. Imagine, if you will, you want to cross a lake. Now, many Christians expect Christian life to be like getting in a speedboat. We believe in Jesus, we hop in the boat, the Holy Spirit drives us across the lake, we're there, done, boom. That's not how transformation works. Others of us believe that Christian life is supposed to be like a rowboat, where we get in the boat and then we work really hard rowing across the lake day after day, week after week, year after year, exhausting ourselves, disciplining ourselves to be better people, to be transformed. And Paul would tell us that's living under the law. In truth, being transformed by the Spirit is like sailing a boat. We have to do a great deal of ongoing work in order to get the boat in the right posture to catch the wind. You have to get the mast right. You have to get the sails right. You have to get the rigging right. But we don't control the wind. We don't make the wind. We don't move the boat. We go nowhere on our own. But we prepare ourselves for the Holy Spirit to work, and then he does. That's the transformative life in the Spirit. We can't control when or how he works and moves, but there are things we need to do to put ourselves in a position and a posture to be transformed. And the things that we ought to do, the activities that help a Christian nurture their life in the Spirit have not changed in 20 centuries. So what are they? Reading the Bible regularly. 
whether it's in print or on your phone. Meditating on God's word, thinking carefully and deeply about what you've read, memorizing scripture so that it's in your heart when the crisis comes, praying, spending time each day with the Lord, giving freely of your money, time, and talent to serve the local church and the kingdom of God, and serving God in ministry to others. These are the practices that have been at the heart of a life of genuine discipleship, not mere Sunday morning knowledge collection. And there's no shortcut. I can tell you from personal experience that as I have grown in my faithfulness with these things, week after week, month after month, year after year, I've enjoyed more and more fruit of the Spirit. Are there failures and setbacks? Yes. But the overall trend line as we nurture the life of the Spirit is to the positive. I have been less and less drawn to the works of the flesh. There is an amazing, you would think in retrospect, as you look back, it almost seems miraculous transformation that is available through life in the Holy Spirit. But you have to nurture that life for yourself. Nobody else can do it for you. But we do try to help you as a church. We offer a lot of resources, but we can't make you use them. We have Bible reading plans. We started them last fall. We're about to finish our first year-long cycle. We'll start again in October 1st. And I have loved the Bible in a year plan. It's helped keep me honest. So October 1st, we'll have new plans. But if you're not already reading the Bible on a daily basis, just go ahead and pick up one of the plans on the table in the back and dive into God's Word today. If you've been on a plan this past year, then come October 1, why don't you step up to the next harder plan? Read more Word. We've enjoyed monthly feasting on the Word seminars to help us read and understand the Bible better and to practice other spiritual disciplines like meditation and prayer, and videos of these are available on YouTube if you search for Feasting on the Word Lakeridge. At the end of September, we will be introducing Summit Discipleship for Life. Summit is a carefully structured series of studies designed to equip every believer to really live as a disciple, not just collect knowledge, but it will include the knowledge and the skills and the disciplines and the habits of a true disciple of Jesus Christ. We'll offer foundational courses on Sunday morning and more advanced courses on Sunday evenings, depending on where your personal journey is. And Paul is very clear about the individual benefits, of course, of choosing to walk by the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But as a congregation, as we become more faithful as disciples, he also tells us we're going to enjoy the opposite of what he describes in verse 26. As we increase in humility and awareness of our own faults and weaknesses and in peacemaking and in reconciliation and in encouragement and in love and support for one another. And the point of this is that it is a powerful testimony of the transformational power of the gospel to a watching world. It is a critical way for us to be that lighthouse we are called to be, shining the light of Christ throughout our community. The Spirit is with you but you must nurture that life in the Spirit to defeat temptation. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, this is a complex lesson. It seems simple on the the surface, but it really affects every aspect of how we live our lives because we so badly want to just improve ourselves 
by our own hard work, and yet you tell us that will fail. When we're honest before you, Lord, we know it will fail because it has already failed us. And so, Lord, I pray that as we come before you, that you would reveal to us our areas of temptation, those works of the flesh that still plague us. And, Lord, I pray that you would hear our prayers now as we confess these things to you. That we would each silently lay before you the sins and the failings of the past days or weeks where we have given in to the works of the flesh. Lord, hear our confession. 